say Shy City Shy City Shy City I'm coming home again Do you think about me now and then? Yeah Do you think about me now and then? Cause I'm coming home Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Shoeless Goat Podcast, where Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick, and I'm joined once again by the mayor of Section 509, Pat Bovard. Pat, how are you doing? Uh, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, another beautiful Sunday afternoon in Chicago. We've had everything from sun to rain to torrential downpours and back again, so up and down day, but overall can't complain too much yeah i love our weekly weather reports to start this is actually a big episode though episode 14 we've been dedicating these episodes to players that have worn that number and i don't think any number is bigger for both teams as a collective than number 14 cubs being ernie banks of course and the white Sox being your boy your favorite player probably ever paul canerco oh yeah he's easily not my favorite socks ever i named my dog after the guy so i mean i think that's when you see something like that that's when you know Mind you, a female dog named Polly, which I think is even more of a more of an homage to his greatness. Hey, you know, I was I was nine. I didn't I didn't you know what I I was ahead of my time. I didn't look at just you know the the normal gender usage of the name. Yeah, you were way ahead of uh, society, I think, in that regard. Hey, you know, it's I can't say that too often. So when when it happens, definitely gotta you know make sure people know about it. Not old enough to have uh, had the pleasure of watching Ernie Banks play ball, but that did not stop me from getting upset when he died when I was in college and drinking very heavily because of it. So I think that that was a proper way to uh, uh, to celebrate the life of probably the greatest Cub ever, Mr. Cub. Let's play two. And we will start the show like we always do with a weekly recap, but this has a little bit of an extra, extra taste to it because... Correction from last week, not the BP Crosstown Cup, but in fact the Wintrust Crosstown Cup had its first leg earlier in the week, and the Cubs and Sox split, losing the Cubs lost the first game um, and won the second game, and vice versa for the uh, the Sox. So we're gonna start a weekly recap doing that. Pat, you want to start us off? Yeah. So uh, like you said, Sox won the first game on Tuesday, three to one after uh, the long road trip from Guaranteed Rate to Wrigley. Uh, you know they did exactly what I wanted them to. They took one out of two. Uh, that game did not start off well though for the Sox. Uh, you Eloy grounding, I believe it was into a double play in the first inning, uh, blowing a perfect chance, and then Schwarber comes back and hits a bomb to open the scoring right away. So you're already down one nothing. You figure at that point that Ivan Nova's probably getting lit up just based on how his starts have gone. They've either been perfectly serviceable or just like nine runs in like four innings. So I figured that's how that one was going to go. Uh, you know, lo and behold, though, he settled in, only gave up four hits and one earned in five. So scoring was done after Schwarber. Bullpen was absolutely lights out. You had Bummer coming in with two scoreless innings and three strikeouts. Fry, Marshall, and then Colume at the end were able to shut the door. Uh, in the sixth, Sox took it to 1-1 on a Tim Anderson single when Javi kind of threw the ball away going to first. Uh, next thing, we had a real weird call of Brayu on the interference with Anderson stealing second, which was just absolutely brutal at that point in the game. I mean, probably technically the correct call, but still not one you like seeing called there if you're a Sox fan. And then, I mean, this has all been leading up to the moment everybody's heard of at this point. Uh, in a game that'll probably be remembered in this series for a long time, former Cub prospect Eloy Jimenez steps to the plate in the ninth inning. Uh, tie game 1-1 with James McCann on first. 
and hits a missile out of the park left field. I was, I mean, you know, I was watching on my TV and I was just standing up in the air, both arms extended. Like that's how fired up I was about this. So he, he takes strope yard. Socks are up three, one column. comes in in the ninth game over column. you know, right now he's 16 for 16 and save. So he wasn't going to blow that. But obviously the big moment of the first game is Eloy's game winning home run, you know, just couldn't really write it up any more poetic than that, especially as a former Cubs prospect first game at Wrigley field. And, you know, especially with the Sox still being in an underdog and probably taking more pride in the series than the Cubs do. Uh, that was real good to see to open it up. So I first game about as good as I could have scripted it. Yeah. A couple takeaways from that game. Uh, one, Ivanova has always, at least in my recent memory, done pretty well against the Cubs, especially when he was a pirate. So the pitching matchup, when I initially looked at it, I didn't think it was as a, as much of a slam dunk as uh, everyone else thought it was going to be. Um, but he took care of business. He just kept him in there long enough until someone could do something because the Cubs' offense looked pretty anemic. One of the other things I noticed is something not watching a lot of Sox games is how good that back end of that bullpen is when you guys have a lead. And it's not something... I get to see very much because I don't watch a ton of the Sox games, but I was looking up at the scoreboard because I was at the game and you look at the whips and the ERAs of all these back-end relievers um, that are there when it's time to shut them down. And so far they actually have shut down once they have ahead the lead. Oh yeah. Like bummer has been out of nowhere. You know, one of those relievers you just kind of find Evan Marshall, I believe yesterday was the first earned runs he had given up the entire season. And then column hundred percent on save. So I feel like when they throw can throw those guys out at the end of a ball game, it's got to be one of the better back ends in baseball thus far. Obviously, you got some other problems with uh, pitching, but at least with those three, it's been absolutely no problem. And now with Jace Fry starting to look like he did last year, like that'll even add another dimension to this bullpen. Yeah, I'd like to see if they keep that core together too moving forward. That'd be really interesting. I guess one other thing about that game that I would be remiss if I didn't bring up was like what the hell was going on in Moncada's at bat when he came in to pinch it? I I don't know if you remember that, but he comes in, uh, you know, had sat out most of the last week with a back injury, came out of the game the Sunday, so two days before, and then Ricky puts him in and he goes up to the plate and tries to bunt on all three pitches. So he, I do remember that. I remember being very confused because wasn't there two outs too and like nobody on? It was just like something really bizarre. Yeah, he like it seemed at least from any casual observer that he like physically wasn't able to swing the bat, which then just begs the question of why is the guy playing? Um, he hit pretty well Wednesday. So I guess maybe it was, I, I don't know, maybe he was just tight on Tuesday after coming off the bench, but that was just a really bizarre sequence that I, I don't think we ever really got an answer on, but just you, you would think if the, cause I remember later in that game, they put Monk, he at third and he's way back. And like, I think uh, Javi tried to lay down a bunt because obviously if you put anything down the third baseline on a guy playing at the back of the dirt with a bad back, he's probably not going to get to it. So it was just, that was a weird sequence of that game. Definitely. And there was extra guys on the bench too. I think they had Tilson and Rondon still who hadn't seen action, if I'm not mistaken. So yep. it, would you trust Mankata bunting and running more than those guys hitting? People are asking. I don't know. No, I mean, uh, it, I don't know. Guy's got a bad back. You just sit him down. It's June. I feel like that's pretty straightforward, but I guess with this team, anything's possible. So definitely. Okay. So we're going to move. I'm going to take over now because it's uh, good news for the Cubs. 
in a game I was not expecting a win. I was expecting to uh, be a little upset just based on the pitching matchup. Giolito versus Lester. Uh, Giolito coming in super hot. Lester struggling. And the opposite happened. Giolito got uh, pretty lit up in the first couple innings. Uh, Wilson Contreras hit a grand slam. I believe it was in the second inning. Then later came up again and hit, hit a solo shot. So five RBIs. Uh, Lester looked pretty decent. Pretty okay. Um didn't give up too many runs, and the lead he got was just enough. The White Sox didn't put up too much of a fight at the end. It was pretty. Uh, it was a long game. It was like a three and a half hour game. Uh, the, the rain was a big factor too. It was just. It was just past like a, a solid drizzle the entire game with it picking up, and I know for a fact because I was out behind home plate for. Uh, the entirety of it, so it was not a pleasant game to be a part of. And you'd think, like with those games, everyone's going to be swinging for the fences um, just to get the game over with, but that wasn't the case. And then once the uh, the Cubs took a pretty big lead, the White Sox were hoping that they could extend the game via a rain delay or something like that. So they were really taking their time behind on play, which you can't knock them for doing. It's smart, smart baseball. I've seen it before, and you'll see it again. But uh, seven to three win. Wilson Contreras, obviously the player of the game. I had a little uh, personal fun during that game because Yolmer was behind home. Uh, he was on deck, and there was a foul ball behind there, and we both had a race for it. But I thought it would look pretty bad if I started boxing him out, so I let him have it. And then I started getting booed by all the Cubs fans behind home play for letting it happen. So uh, that's actually the second time that's happened this year. The other time was with uh, Eugenio Suarez. But... Uh, I feel like they're on to me now with uh, me running back there, so they're going to be trying to steal my thunder a little bit, which is fine. It's all it's all in good fun. But I was really happy to see the Cubs take that one. Uh, only one went away from retaining the Crosstown Cup because of the tie rule. So the next time these two face off will be at the Beggar Dome, and uh, if the Cubs get one win, they'll hold that trophy. So I'll, I'll take the win. Yeah, that was a you know I was at that game and kind of what you led off with I was thinking which of the two games do I want to go to? So I'm like, I'm going to go Wednesday. That's when Giolito's pitching socks are probably going to win. If they win any of them instead, I miss the game when Ivan Nova, you know, throws decently. Well, Eloy hits a game winning home run and it's beautiful weather out to instead sit in the rain for what seemed like a three and a half hour game and to watch Giolito get lit up for the first time I've seen him pitch this year. So little disappointing there. Um, also another follow up on that. Yolmer racing you uh, being a ball boy for the a ball during a game is probably the most Yolmer thing I could think of right behind dumping the Gatorade on himself. So <laughs> in terms of his antics, that's right up there. One I of th- would say, um, not to cut you off, but I would say yeah. the only thing that would have been more Yolmer is if he dumped Gatorade on me as I was going oh, that would baseball. That would have been awesome. That would, I would, oh, be, I would be so down for that. I was soaking <laughs> wet anyway. Like, it didn't matter. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't have made a difference. Um couple other of my takeaways from that game is how much I hate National League baseball. Uh, second inning, you know, I, after Larry Garcia leads off the game with a home run on the first pitch, which I was, you know, I was up in my seat in the bleachers um, and then quickly had that uh, lead taken away from me. Second inning with two outs, Yolmer hits a triple, and then Giolito comes up and strikes out on like three pitches. So that was a little bit of a buzzkill for somebody that's a fan of an American League team. And then my one other thing from that game was uh, Zach Collins making his major league debut, pinch hitting in the ninth, uh, following in the footsteps of fellow White Sox legend Yoan Moncada, had a walk in his first major league at bat. So kind of a little bit of a 
foreshadowing of his, you know, extreme three true outcome ability. Uh, I believe in the minors, the number he, he either walked, struck out or hit a home run was like 54%, something like that. So expect a lot of walks and a lot of strikeouts from him, but hopefully a couple home runs sprinkled in there. I was wondering if he was going to pick up first base and toss it into the uh, the dugout for safekeeping, but uh, it was not to be. I thought the grounds crew would have been too happy about that. That would have been something. Just one out in the ninth, you know, Ricky Henderson style picks the base up, like with the, whatever was left of that crowd. Because I stayed till the end, but there was not many of us left at that point. Yeah, you guys were dropping like flies, but uh, that would have been something to see uh, if uh, Collins came up and did what Wilson Contreras did three years to the day uh, before that was hit a home run in his first major league at bat. So I, not to say I was rooting for it, but it, the game was already in hand anyway. I would have liked to see something like that, just to give a treat for the fans that stuck around. Oh yeah, that was the only reason I stayed till the end. I was wasn't getting chirped too badly, but you know, every little bit of good rib, good old fashioned ribbing going on. But yeah, I only stayed to the end to see Collins. That was, I mean, sitting in the rain. There's really no other reason to do it when you're losing by four. Yeah, at least I got to run around to stay warm. It, it yeah. must have been worse in the stands. But uh, so the Crosstown Cup, brought to you by Wintrust, is now tied at one. Cubs won it last year, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, tie goes to the previous champion, which is not the best outcome, if you ask me. Uh, but what else can you really do? Do we go to run differential for something, for a meaningless trophy? I feel like that would be really great. Oh, yeah, like European soccer style. Like if it's a tie game, it's run differential. And then if run differential's tied, you go to whoever scored more runs on the road. I think, I think we're onto something here. I think it would be even better is if, like, the Sox, their playoff uh, hopes are not dead by any means, but they're definitely not in as good of a shape as where the Cubs stand. So a team like the Sox trying to manufacture more runs and maybe run up the score or something in order to overcome that deficit, I feel like would be absolutely electric and incredible to watch. That'd be, yeah, because you'd see, like, guys probably stealing bases, like, up seven or something like that, just all this ridiculous stuff, which... I'd be all here for it. That probably, you know, if they were to pull it off this year doing something like that, that'd probably be my favorite Crosstown Cup since the Sox won in 2016, which not that it means anything at all, but it's just hilarious. So yeah, stealing up seven, Justin Verlander might have some problems with that, Pat. Yeah, just don't do it against him or the Royals. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, be, beware. Okay, so we're going to move on with the rest of our weekly recap. We'll start with you, Pat. How did the Sox rest of the week go after they left Wrigley? Uh, not not ideal, Nick, actually. Um, Thursday, they had an off day. They went down to the great, beautiful state of Texas to play the Rangers. Uh, Friday night's game was solid. Um, didn't start off that way. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez was pitching extremely inconsistent this year, as everybody knows. And Nomar Mazzara, first inning, hit a just like third-level deck moonshot 505 feet to right field, which like tied the longest home run in the stat cast era. So, obviously not good. Uh, next inning, top of the second, Zach Collins comes up and follows that right up with a three-run homer. Uh, his first career hit, his first career home run in his first career start, 447 feet to center. So, I was definitely fired up with that. And there he was continuing that three-true outcome trend. Uh, game went back and forth a little bit from there. Uh Oduor tied it at three, and then, like we talked about, that back end of the Sox bullpen, Bummer, Marshall, Fry, Herrera, and Colome, they threw four and two-thirds in that game and gave up one earned. So I 
you can't really, you know, get much better than that. Uh, had a nice, exciting ending. Yolmer Sanchez laying down a squeeze bunt in the ninth, or in the tenth, actually. I'm sorry to take take the lead. Sox ended up winning five four. Uh, Saturday's game, they lost five to six, which this was this game had me just extremely angry. Uh, it was Odra Samer Despania again. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Day, uh, his third start, and he gave he got a they gift wrapped him a four nothing lead in the first which he then promptly gave up. Uh, he ended up making three innings, eight hits, four runs, no strikeouts. So like nobody swinging and missing his ERAs at 9.45 and Nomar Mazzara took him like out of the yard by far twice. So not a great start from my boy, Odra Sommer. Um, Sox ended up losing five, six that that game was just, it was disappointing. The fact that we still have a guy like that going out there and pitching every fifth day, it, it's, doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I'll i get on my soapbox a little bit here, but sure, you can say we have injuries, but we knew Kopech was out going into the year. And, I mean, we instead we go after Irvin Sander and Odrasamer de Spagna, and which after that game, I got to bring it up, Ricky Renteria had a great quote. They asked him about uh, de Spagna after the game, and he said, you know, as far as we're concerned, he's here until he's not. So you could just see this look on his face like, Kind of like speaking to Rick Hound, like, what the hell do you want me to do? Like, I'm trotting these, like, these are the guys you give me, so they're going to keep pitching until you take them away from me. So, Saturday's game, not good for the Sox. That was um, very um, Yogi Berra-esque of Ricky Renteria. Yeah. That was, you know, I've, I, you know, I've had my, more than my fair share of criticism towards Ricky this year, but that was, I loved that comment, because he's like, at a certain point, he's like, look, like, this is what you're giving me, this is what we, we're going to get, so... Not a great start, but uh, Sunday's game, also not very good. A 7-4 loss. Uh, you know, Rangers had four in the second, two home runs. Uh, Ivan Nova had one of his bad starts today, unlike that one against the Cubs. Ended up taking a 5 nothing lead on the Sox. Sox got one back in the fifth. Uh, they got three in the eighth. Uh, looked like they were, you know, going for a big inning, and then second and third, one out. Uh, Yonder and TA7 both strike out, so that was a little disappointing when a ground ball would have tied it. Didn't really matter, though. Rangers got two in the ninth, in the eighth off Herrera. Sox lost 7-4, so started off a good weekend series, but overall dropped the last two, went two and three on the week, and the reason this series hurts so much is because the Sox now sit four and a half games out of that wild card spot, and Texas is the team in that, you know, they're four and a half games off Texas right now. Like that was a big opportunity and they just completely, uh, you know, crapped the bet on it. And now we got Boston coming up in Boston. And the last time we played them, it was, I think we had like a 15 to one game. It was ugly. So a lot of, opt- a lot of wind out of the sails now. Um, but overall, you know, only one game under 500, but this week felt a lot worse than that after that Eloy uh, game winner to open the week on Tuesday. Yeah, I think the White Sox are kind of fighting against themselves, and it's one of those things where it's like, don't look at the standings until the White Sox have figured their own crap out. I think that to talk playoffs with the White Sox, wait till they're about three or four games over 500, and then that's fair game to talk about. But until then, it's like, you're playing against yourselves. you got to win those games. It doesn't matter who you're playing against to get above 500 before you can even be in that conversation. Well, that's the thing. This team has gotten to one game under 500 so many freaking times this year, and... You know, I, th- I got to say the last two times they've done it, it's been Odrasamer to Spania Day. So he's literally the patron saint of falling to two games under 500. So <laughs> I just, you know, 
it's it's like a running joke now because they get to one game under 500 the fan base gets fired up and then they lose by like 10 so it's just it's been a rough couple weeks on that regard but you know we're one good stretch away from really you know being in the thick of things but we just can't seem to get over that last hill yeah the uh 2015 cubs had a similar bout of flirting with 500 up and down and then they went on like a six or seven game win streak in august they swept the giants i want to say and they never looked back so like you just got to get over that 500 hump. It's like a weird thing. And then once you get past it, you might, you, it might be in the rear mirror for the entire season. Who knows? Or you fall behind it and give up on it. It's one of those two outcomes. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I don't know at this point, I think the thing that's really going to hurt him is just that rotation. I mean, they got basically two automatic losses in there with, uh, Dispania and then whoever, I don't even know who their fifth starter is right now, to be completely honest. Um, this is the perfect situation where I'm like, why don't they go with an opener one or two days a week? Like they don't have the pitchers to send somebody out there for five innings. So why not have like Jace Fry go out there and pitch once through the order? I don't yeah, like, yeah. Or like just two innings of bummer or whatever. He's a monster. Like yeah, throw those guys off. I don't like, I don't see what the, yeah. Like it, to me, it amazes me that they haven't even like given a thought of trying that. So I don't know. You know, I'd like to see him try it just given the dearth of starting pitching because at this point in the year, they're not going to go out and make a trade, I doubt. So they're not. So we, we're stuck with what we have. So, I, I mean, I'd like to see them try an opener, but I don't. in that regard, they're not super innovative, so I don't see it happening. We're just going to have to deal with these basic, like, you know, two out of five automatic losses. So, yeah, not, not the most encouraging week. All right, yeah, so the Cubs week, Similar to that, not the most encouraging. They ended up 3-3, three and three, one of them coming against the White Sox. They had a four-game series against the Mets. A pretty bad Mets team, mind you. Uh, and it started off pretty good when uh, Kyle Hendricks being hurt, they, they threw Chatwood out there. He was not fully stretched out, so we knew that it was going to be somewhat of a bullpen game, something that we were trying to coax the Sox into doing. Uh, Chatwood did okay. Uh, three runs given up, a, couple, a handful of walks that, you know, you, you don't like to see, but it's whatever. Uh, gave up three runs, pitched only about four innings. Then it got exciting because the rookie who they just called up, Adbert Alzale, came up and pitched, I want to say, five innings almost. Or they took him out in the ninth, but five innings of no-hit baseball until the ninth when he gave up a home run. Uh, he was absolutely nasty. Five Ks. Like I said, the only hit being a home run. And after the home run, he was taken out and got a humongous standing ovation, pretty much won the game for the Cubs in a game where you don't know what, what's going to happen with a bullpen game like that. But uh, clearly a rookie that is not used to the moment, like kind of took his hat off saluting the fans as he was walking off a game in which he just gave up a home run. And the Cubs players continue to razz him for it every time they make a play. Like in the like in the infield, like Javi made like just caught a regular line drive, and then he like took his hat off and started messing with Adbert. <laughs> but uh, he's gonna get another start next week, which is really exciting because damn near earned it. I mean, he's ready to go, and uh, that might be the spark plug the Cubs need. Uh, next day, a Friday, a five four loss to the Mets, which is really heartbreaking because again, this is not a team that uh, you want to be losing games to. It's much like the conversation we had earlier in the year with the Marlins. It's like, get those wins against those teams because they're going to win 60, 70 games throughout the year. You just don't want to be on the wrong end of them. Uh, you Darvish looked pretty decent for four earned runs given up. 
but he looked a lot better than that. That last innings where it kind of fell apart. And Cubs gave up the lead and just never got it back. And it was just kind of like an anemic offense deal. Saturday, even worse. Uh, a game in which the Cubs were never in it. It was a 10-2 loss. Jose Quintana, this is the first time I'll say it, absolutely sucked. He was terrible. He hasn't looked good in about a month. So coming off of watching Eloy Jimenez hit a game-winning home run, followed by a Jose Quintana absolute punt, is just it's, it's tough to swallow, uh, especially because the talent that is Eloy Jimenez. Like, you can never look back at a trade and say, oh, I wish we didn't, but it's starting to look like that. It's starting to look that way as Sox fans around the, uh, the area smile ear to ear. Is that uh, trade there, uh, James Shields for Fernando Tatis? Or at least that's it's you know that's a really good comp actually honestly I I think that Quintana is a better pitcher than James oh, Shields yeah. um, at least he should be hope it would have to take it would be a pretty serious plummet to see those two have similar careers when all is said and done but not out of the realm of possibilities especially because James Shields had some pretty good years in San Diego well that's um, you know I guess it, with regards to that like I I don't know I'd rather have my GM make mistakes being aggressive than kind of just waiting for things to happen. So at least that's my two cents. Yeah, I'm not chalking it up as a loss. For, like, I, I think that when you look at the careers of both those players when it's over, it's way too early with Eloy. But, like, if he has better stats, it's not necessarily a loss for the Cubs, but it's one of those, like, oh, what if? What if we kept him? Mm-hmm. Like, or, I mean, what if we didn't get Quintana and then we decided to go after, you know, Verlander instead or something like that you know so it's it's a lot of what ifs it's almost too many what ifs one of the things that was interesting about this loss to the Mets was the Mets had not won consecutive games since like the second week of the season that's insane so they got two wins in a row at Wrigley and they hadn't won two in a row in like forever so that's just kind of the state of that team. I think before the game even started today, I didn't have a chance to watch the whole thing. I know the, the Mets had like nine homers to so the Cubs, like one in the series. But that brings us to today, today's game. Uh, Cubs ended up getting the win five to four. It would not have been a win had, not, had it not been for Javi Baez hitting a three-run homer in the eighth inning. Uh so that was huge. And then Pedro Strope came in and avenged himself from the Eloy home run. Looked filthy. It's on four days rest. He hadn't pitched in a while. So he was able to bring out his nastiest stuff. One of the things I really like about him is when nobody's on, he does the quick pitch. Uh, so that'll be an interesting thing to see. Kimbrell is supposed to be back. Or not back. He's supposed to debut with the team sometime next week. The Braves are in town for four. So that'd be kind of a nice way uh, to bring him back against his former team. So Strope will probably assume the setup roles, and he's done it in the past, and it doesn't seem like he has it doesn't seem like he has an issue with doing it. So it was good to see him bounce back after being not the sole cause of the loss against the White Sox, but definitely the shoulder of the blame goes on that one bad pitch to Eloy. So three and three on the week, two C- series splits. I'd like to see them get in the groove of winning series again, but. Uh, the Braves are smoking hot and coming to town, and for the last, I don't know, 20 years, the Braves have absolutely dominated the Cubs, so we'll see how it goes. If we take a split in this one, I won't be too mad, but I would like to see three out of four. Yeah, that'd be, you know, uh, if you can take three out of four against a team like the Braves, that's solid. I think at least, you know, from my perspective, after the Crosstown Cup, the biggest thing for the Cubs this week was Alzale. Like, 
I mean, when, when was the last time they had a homegrown developed pitcher? Like they, it's been a long time. So if they can, you know, if he can come up and, you know, contribute to this team, that's huge. Cause you know, that'll help shore up some of the rotation questions. They've had some of the injuries, but you know, there was a lot of buzz around Wrigley Wednesday night when it was announced he was uh, going to be coming up. So I'm interested to see how he does moving forward, especially now that looks like he's going to get some shots in the rotation. Yeah, I, he's not the last homegrown pitcher, but Sean Gallagher comes to mind. I, yeah, he was part of the uh, trade with the A's to get uh, Rich Harden and Chad Gadan. So that's really go throw on that in the way back machine. Uh, Randy Wells too came up with uh, when Zambrano was down, and I think he finished like top six or seven in the rookie of the year voting. But yeah, like you said, I mean, Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor are the only ones that really come to mind, and uh, that's a long time ago. So uh, we're gonna jump over now to the big stories of the week, and I know Pat, you've got quite a bit to say about it. So let's get to it. What's going on with the White Sox? So yeah, I think you know couple things this week. We already talked about the Crosstown Cup. Kind of already talked about Zach Collins' debut. You know, he got a home run, got a walk to start off, had a lot of strikeouts. That's pretty much what I'm expecting. For me, big story this week with regards to the Sox is the All-Star uh, finalists getting announced. So for those of you who may not know, this year they changed the All-Star voting procedure. So there was like three, four weeks of voting between one guy at every position for every team and the top three vote getters at each position advanced to the starters election, which is this week. Um, I had obviously high hopes for a couple of socks, Abreu, Tim Anderson, Moncada, and James McCann, uh, to, to name them specifically. And after the finalists were announced, the only one to advance was James McCann, who is certainly deserving batting around 320 with, I think seven or eight home runs now having a great year and really one of the, rare free agent signings that this front office has done that's worked uh not here to talk about that though i'm here to talk about these snubs of the other guys so you know jose abreu who's right near the top of the league in rbis uh he was beaten out by uh santana cj crone and luke voigt of the yankees um all three are having good years but i just you know if you're comparing them abreu has you know more rbis than any of them he's got as much home runs as any of them. I guess that OPS maybe is what turned people off, but I, I, you know, I guess ultimately the starters election only determines one guy. And I just got to hope a Bray going to get on there by the managers and the players. Um, shortstop too. Uh, Tim Anderson having a hell of a year hitting 320 with 11 home runs and 15 steals. Uh, he was beaten out by Jorge Polanco and Glabar Torres, both of whom have, you know, higher OPSs, higher slugging, more RBIs, more runs, so can't really blame that. But Carlos Correa was one of the finalists who has played in 50 games. Great player, but all-star this year, yeah, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say that. It, to me, that's which is, I guess, you know, the flaw in fan voting. You got guys voting for people based off name brand alone, which I guess maybe this year wasn't as bad across the board because guys like Bryce Harper weren't all-stars. Um but still, it's disappointing to see a guy like Tim Anderson, who's having an insanely great year, huge story in baseball this year, getting beaten and out by a guy who's played 50 games. Doesn't seem right, but again, uh, I got to have faith that the players and the managers would put a player like Anderson in the game. Um, Mankata, I, I wanted him to get in, but I knew he was a longer shot. Bregman, Ursula, and Hunter Dozier of the, Ro of the Royals beat him out. Statistically, the three of them are all having better years than Mankata, so I'm not too upset there, but for me... 
if I had to pick any of these guys to get in, I want to see Anderson get to Cleveland this year. I think he's been, like I said, a huge story in baseball with his whole fiasco with the Royals and the bad flipping. So if he doesn't get there and this you know election played any part in it, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. Yeah, I think you make some good points and definitely Anderson, definitely Abreu. They got my votes in the All-Star. I only vote once because I think it's like having a March Madness bracket. If you make more, mm-hmm. more than one, you're a, you know, you're, you're spineless in my opinion. Uh, so I only do one vote and those two I picked. I also picked McCann as well, I think. Yeah, I think I did yeah. too. So um, just based on stats, I mean, baseball fans kind of like take pride in the fact that we think we're smarter because we have this huge sample size and it's so data driven. And sometimes the voting reflects that. And then you look at the Cubs and realize that sometimes it doesn't reflect that. Uh, you mentioned to me earlier the names of the guys who made it from the Cubs side to that final vote in the form of Rizzo, Contreras, Baez, Schwarber, Bryant, Hayward, and Almora. In my vote, I only had Contreras and Baez. I didn't That's, vote Rizzo. Yeah. I didn't vote Rizzo because I think Josh Bell is having a better year. I didn't vote Bryant because Arenado is having a way better year. These other guys, Schwarber and Hayward and Elmora, clearly the product of Cubs fans coming out in droves. Now it's something to be said about the fact that the game doesn't count anymore, so it's not that big of a deal. But at the same time, like some teams kind of get slighted by the fact that the big market teams kind of just, you know, stuff the ballots a little bit. I hope you're right in the sense that only the starters get picked and, the, and then the managers and the players do the right thing, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think this voting is better than just voting out of everybody because then you get a lot more of the, like, determination, whereas now you have everybody's voting between three players. So I hope that kind of equilibrates things a little bit more. Uh, as for James McCann, I don't really like his chances of getting elected to start. Uh, he's going against uh, Gary Sanchez uh, in New York, and I feel like getting a New York vote, beating that out is going to be super difficult. But he at least got recognized, and I like a, he's one of the guys that I hope makes it. Um, the one interesting thing, though, is that I still – like pitchers have never been voted in by the fans. So I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily get why that's like never been brought up. Like it's just been accepted that we don't vote for pitchers, which for the Sox on that end, I'm hoping, you know, Giolito and Colum may both get in there, but uh, it just seems weird that like they have this flawed system for the position players and yet pitchers get selected by managers and players. And there seem to be no issues with who gets selected on that side. So I guess a little bit of food for thought in future years. Yeah, I've always wondered about that, like why we can't pick pitchers. Or I would like to, because it really doesn't matter, one, have the managers pick the pitchers and then vote on who gets to start or something like that. But that would kind of be kind of a bummer too because I consider the White Sox a small market team, even though they're in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And Giolito would lose to Verlander, even though there's a pretty strong argument that Verlander is doing what he usually does, and Giolito is kind of the better story. So I want to see Giolito start um, start in the All-Star game. That would be big, but I just don't see yeah. them doing that. Yeah, that's be- that's actually funny you speak of that. That's been kind of like another idea I've heard some people float would be basically the players and the managers uh, select the rosters, and then the fans get to vote from who's on the roster of who's starting, which I think that'd be a perfectly fine way of doing it like that would probably be the best way to ensure that guys that are having the best years are the ones that are 
playing in the all-star game, then fans can kind of have their fun on who starts. Like I, I think that would be a better way of doing it, but I don't see baseball going that way. No, I mean, there's too much hype with voting who like there's a month of hype of voting who gets to come in and the advertisers get a piece of that mm-hmm. where I've, I don't know who advertises the ballot on the ballot this year. But, you know, there's a couple of corporate sponsors like just for example, they're like, oh, check out the T-Mobile All-Star ballot or something like that. That goes on for a month. That's not going to happen. Like it's, it's bottom dollar, especially now that the game doesn't count. I mean, this is a much bigger deal when the game counted for something. Um, and that's a whole different diatribe that we won't get into. But uh that's just kind of how it is, and we just kind of have to get it, accept it. And sometimes there's always going to be snubs, and unfortunately, this year it's the White Sox who are kind of getting snubbed, supposedly. So, um, who was the White Sox Player of the Week, Pat? Uh, for me, not a big week for many people. I wanted to give it to Eloy, but you know he struck out in like half his at bats and didn't really do much after that first home run. Not a ton of standouts. So the guy I'm giving it to this week is Alex Colome. Uh, you know. Two saves this week, two for two. His he's sixteen for sixteen on the year and has been absolutely lights out since they got him from uh, Seattle in the offseason. Uh, can't really ask for a better closer than that. I th- I think you know I knew he was good. He had a pretty good year in Tampa two years ago, I believe it was when he I think he led the American League in saves in twenty seventeen. So I was happy to get a guy like that at the back of the bullpen. But you know it's really just been extremely good peace of mind having a guy like that, that I know we're going to put in the game and there's a very, very, very small chance. We're not going to get the win. It, it hasn't been that way for a while for the Sox, probably since shoot. I don't even know David Robertson and maybe 2015 and he wasn't even this good. So it's been a while, but it's a welcome sight having a guy like that at the back of a surprisingly good bullpen so far this year. So my player of the week is Alex Colome. I like it. I love bullpens, so you know I'm going to like that pick. Uh, I went the other route. I went the backstop. I went Wilson Contreras. Obviously, the two homers against the White Sox in a game that for Cub fans, because we decided last week that the rivalry was mostly for the fans. In fact, not if not all for the fans. Oh, yeah. I mean, White Sox Twitter, White Sox Facebook was letting us have it, so we needed that win, and, uh, and Willie made sure it happened. And he's been doing a lot of uh, pregame – uh, I won't even say philanthropy, but he's just been doing a lot of good guy work before the game too. So I kind of like toss that in. He's been taking a lot of photos with fans, meeting with young fans. Uh, I know they had a bunch of the kids from the, the local hospitals come on the field and he was hanging out with all of them beforehand too. So I think that's pretty cool. So I'm going to go with Wilson Contreras. Um, he also threw out, did he throw out Tim Anderson at third base as well? I think he yeah, did. He did. That, that, was a, that was a brutal steal attempt, but great throw by him. Absolute missile in a, in a, You'd never steal in that situation. Like I think there was nobody out, and he was on second, right? Yeah, that was that was a head scratcher all the way around. Because I, I can't remember who exactly was batting. Was it a Brayu? Maybe. But I think it was just, a Brayu was batting. Yeah, like, that's just league, that, league leader in RBIs almost. And yeah. yeah, game you're losing. I don't see why you do that. But not trying to take any credit away from Contreras for nailing him because that was a that was a huge momentum shifting play. Yeah, that kind of quieted the uh, the Sox fans for a little bit there. Um, very briefly, Cubs big story. Uh, we're jumping around a little bit. I'm just looking at the standings right now, Pat. Uh, NL Central. Everyone looked at the looked at the makeup of all the teams at the beginning of the season, and I, for one, made the bold claim that this might be the best division in baseball history, just based on the star power. And it, it still very well may be, but as it stands right now, Cubs are a half game up at 42 and 35. Uh, Brewers half game back, obviously at 42 and 36, and then the Cardinals at 40 and 36, only a game and a half back. 
Pirates and Reds, both at 36 and 40. So the division is completely up for grabs. All five teams are still very well in it, but it's not be- they're not all like playing super great. It's just they're beating up on each other in streaky ways. So I just wanted to say that like there are divisions that are a lot more top-heavy. So I guess the argument to be made is that the NL Central isn't looking like it's going to be the, the best division in baseball history, but it looks like it's going to be the most exciting one here on out. I mean, there's a couple divisions just looking at it that are already out of reach. Dodgers up 13 games on the Rockies. Braves are kind of pulling away six and a half ahead of the Phillies who are struggling mightily. Um, Twins are up eight games. Astros up six and a half. Yankees up four and a half. So yeah, the NL Central, I don't know. I, I was expecting more. But at the same time, it's it's early and it can still be it's going to be exciting. It's just not going to be explosive like it was in 2015. Well, I guess, like, you know, an interesting question to that is if a division has like two teams that win 100 games and then, you know, two teams that are bottom feeders, is that a better division than a team that has five teams that are right around, you know, 88 to 95 wins? I think, you know, I'd probably go with the second, but just because, you know, there's a lot more infighting and just beating up on each other. But. I guess, yeah, based off the records, not quite what you might have expected, but still should be a really good finish given the talent level of the... I mean, I, I expect the Reds and the Pirates to kind of fade as the season goes on, um, but at least maybe play the role of spoilers a little bit more. And then I, I think it's going to be a dogfight still between St. Louis, uh, Milwaukee, and the Cubs. So I'm interested to see how that plays out, especially with you know Yelich still acting like he's Barry Bonds. So I don't, don't know what's going to happen, but it should be a good uh, second half of the season. Yeah, definitely. And in 2015, that first scenario where a lot of top heavy, I mean, the Cubs had, uh, I want to say 93 wins and got third place. I think the Pirates had about 96 and the Cardinals had, I think, like 100 or 101. So that's looking like one of the most like best divisions of all time. But the other two teams were just just dog shit. So that's why it just kind of like, I mean, the Brewers and the, the Reds at that time were pretty awful. So it's up for debate what you'd consider the best division, but I was just curious to see um, what your thoughts were on the NL central and just how it's one of the only, there's only two or three pretty, I mean, two, maybe three competitive divisions left and we're in June still. So it's, I guess it's good for baseball, but it's, it's bad for a Cub fan who wishes they were just up eight games like some of the other teams. Yeah, that's fair. I guess you're probably wishing you were in the AL central right now, but I don't know. It, it, it's good to see divisions like that. Cause when teams just run away with it, it just gets to be a little bit, you know, at the end of the year, you're not really paying attention to that division at all. So, I don't know. NL Central is going to give us a lot of fireworks down the stretch, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, cardiac Cubs, man. They're going to be uh, <laughs> giving me a grabber or two. Okay, so we're going to do our, uh, our probably our favorite segment, uh, the LinkedIn Player Profile. For those of you who don't know, and you should by now, we pick a former Cub, former White Sox. We check out what they're doing on LinkedIn. We see what they're up to, talk about their careers. Pat, we're going to start with you. Who is your LinkedIn player profile of the week? So I'm going a little bit uh, into the back burner with this one, and I am going with former pitcher knuckleballer Charlie Hager. Uh, pitched for the Sox from, uh, what was it, 06 to you know mid-08. Uh, he's drafted by the White Sox in the 25th round of the 2001 draft and retired after 2002. Walked away from the game, went to go play golf at Madonna University, which is in Michigan, allegedly. Um, and then much like... Father, Named after Madonna, who's from Detroit, right? Oh, yeah. 
Is she? I don't. I don't even know. But she is from Detroit, so maybe that's maybe oh, that, just that big could Madonna be. fans over there. Damn, that's something. But anywho, you know, tried his luck at golf there for two years, and then like other White Sox legend Michael Jordan, uh, went back to his former sport after two years, returning to the White Sox uh, after the Ovor season. I debuted with the White Sox in May of 2006. Um, was up and down that year and actually started the International League All-Star Game as a uh, ace of the Charlotte Knights. Um, faced Tim Wakefield in 07, which was interesting because, you know, knuckle, there's so few knuckleballers, they don't often face each other, but uh, Wakefield got the last laugh in that one. Really didn't pitch that long for the Sox. They had a like one and two record, a perfectly balanced zero war, so he was perfectly replacement level. Um, uh, claimed off waivers by the Padres in 08, um, kind of bounced around the majors from there. He signed with the Dodgers in 09, was in the minors and there was an all-star in the minors started the season as their fifth starter in 2010, but had an ERA North of eight in, uh, nine games. And so he got sent back down from there, never really made it up to the majors again, minors or Mariner system in 2011, Red Sox in 2011 and through 2013. Um, and then, you know, ended up retiring. Uh, so what has he been doing since then? He is currently a private pitching coach at Total Baseball, which I believe based off the PDF online I found his data runs. He is a pitching coordinator in the Rays minor league system since tw- from 2016 uh, through this year, which is, you know, kind of a smart move to have a knuckleballer there because the Rays seem to be a little bit ahead of the curve. So if they can find some guy, they might be able to salvage as a knuckleballer. They have a guy that threw it in the majors. So interesting there. He was also for a while before that, the pitching coach at Madonna U. So, you know, going back to his roots, um, overall an unspectacular career, but you know, a noteworthy guy. Cause he was a knuckleballer. The only guys that have, you know, played since he retired are Tim Wakefield, R.A. Dickey, uh, Ryan free who's currently with the Jays and Steven Wright. So that's five guys that have thrown that pitch. So, uh, not a noteworthy Sox career, but just the fact that he was an knuckleballer. I still remember seeing him pitch a couple times, and yeah, that's uh, Charles Hager. Good stuff, Pat. Yeah, I, I love knuckleballers just because it's like the la- your last chance to be a pro, and so few guys actually succeed in it. So when they do succeed, it's really exciting. Because it, when you look, when they're throwing it, it looks like they're just, you know, tossing BP, and then the thing's just floating all over the place. It's really cool to see. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's just, it's one of those things of baseball that's just like such a lost art and something that like is extremely difficult to do in such a novelty that when you see a guy doing it, it's like, oh, wow, that's like, it's pretty cool. They generally don't last too long um, because if that pitch doesn't move, it is getting absolutely obliterated. But, you know, nonetheless, it's still a cool wrinkle of the game. Definitely. So for the first time in about three weeks, I was unable to find my player on LinkedIn, but he is such a good story that I just had to go with him. This is former Cub catcher Coy Hill, for those of you who remember who that is. Oh, that's a hell he, of a name. Coy Hill, yeah. So he had a pretty decent career, 2003 to 2014, playing officially for five teams, but um, was sent around to quite a bit of few with uh, – minor league contracts. So I'll just list those off really quick. Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Yankees, Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, Cubs again, Nationals, Rangers, Marlins, Nationals again, and Phillies. So 
well-traveled is the best way to put it. He is a graduate, or not a graduate, he is a, well, he did graduate, I think, uh, Wichita State University, which is which shocks me that I'm even doing a report on him. There is a pun there as well, where he batted 355 and had 186 RBIs, primarily as a third baseman. He started off with the Dodgers in 2003, as I said, and then had a two-year stint with the Diamondbacks. Took a year off of baseball, and for and for what reason, you ask, is because he cut four of his fingers and his thumb off in a table saw accident, and Jesus Christ, they were restitched to his hand shortly before joining your Chicago Cubs. That's that's when you know you got a player with grit. Absolute grit. Like I was his, yeah. He's had his fingers reattached. Like that's that. I'll go to war with that guy. Absolutely. So it gets better. Um, not from a, a, a gore sense, but why he was brought onto the Cubs in the first place was because on June 1st, 2007, Hill was called up to replace an injured Henry Blanco. Hill saw action later that day as he was put in the game at the top of the sixth inning after catcher Michael Barrett was taken out of the game after fighting with teammate Carlos Zambrano in the dugout. That was against the Sox, right? I believe it was against I was the at White that Sox. Game. I was at that game. I remember because you look, you could see something was going on in the dugout, but like you had no idea it was. And then that was before like the age of like great smartphones. So we were getting texts like Zambrano got sent home. So that was, yeah, just a little nugget about that one. Yeah. So he made his Cubs debut because those two just went at it in the dugout. So <laughs> that's definitely a great story. That's awesome. Yeah. No. So, and then he ended up, uh, um, following an injury to Giovanni Soto in 2009, became the Cubs' starting catcher as of August 1st throughout the rest of the season, in which he only didn't catch one game for the rest of the season. So he was officially the Cubs' starting catcher for a, a short amount of time. Um, then he just kind of bounced around quite a bit after that. Uh, I mean, his Wikipedia picture is in the in a Cubs uni, so it's. I, I think if you he, if you look back at his career, he would probably tell you he was mostly a Cub, and he was there for five years total, so... It's not the not the weirdest assumption to make. Uh, he did make a, a comeback um, after all three catchers were injured for the Cubs. Steve Clevenger, Giovanni Soto, and Wellington Castillo all went down with injuries in a span of 24 days. So the 195 hitter, Coy Hill, was brought back up from Pensacola. And I believe that was the last time he actually played in the majors. Bounced around quite a bit. Honestly, I don't know what he's doing in his personal life as he is not a LinkedIn user. I can only make one assumption that it is not home improvement or woodworking. Oh, God, I'd hope not. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that being said, Coy Hill, your LinkedIn player profile. I want to talk about yours for a second. You brought up MJ. I'm waiting until I forget about this conversation, but I'm waiting for your LinkedIn pro player profile to be Michael Jordan, where you oh, strictly God. talk about his baseball career and nothing else. <laughs> just let, just leave out those years with the Bulls. Like, you know, he played baseball, and then nine years later, he went to go play with the Washington Wizards in a shocking turn of events. Yeah, just a, a, you know the, the the true two sport athlete. You know, baseball at heart, but then he just tried something else. You know, yeah, you know, you love to see guys like that. That's the American dream, right there. Absolutely. Well, Pat, it's been a good week, uh, especially considering that we were uh, on the opposite sides directly this time around, but it was a good episode. We are closing up episode 14. This one was for Polly and Ernie, but we're going to end the same way we always do. I will ask Pat a question he has not heard yet. I think this is the best question yet. So I know the answer. 
uh, ahead of time. He does not, so let's let's give this a go. So, Pat, would you rather have the Sox win the Crosstown Cup and have the Cubs make the playoffs or lose the Crosstown Cup and have the Cubs miss the playoffs? I can repeat that for you because it's all it's kind of uh, it's kind of back and forth. No, I got it. Um, I guess my question is: Does this affect the Sox making the playoffs at all? This is that is not a variable in consideration. So, so let's just assume they're not making the playoffs either way. Okay, so it is. Not, it's not like a trade off. Like if they win the Crosstown Cup, they miss the playoffs. If they lose, they make it. It's just purely the Cubs making purely what the, the Cubs do based in in comparison with the two outcomes of the Crosstown Cup. Well. You know, I, this is not a this is not a hard one for me. Then, in the words of the uh, great citizens of St. Louis, we want the cup. Um, give me, give me the Crosstown Cup. I, you know, the Cubs making the playoffs. I expected at this point. So, if we can, you know, squeak out those two wins down at thirty fifth and James Shields, um, and they still make the playoffs, you know, give me, give me that all day. I'll take those bragging rights. Like I said, in twenty sixteen, when they won the World Series, we still got the cup. So. Who was the best team in baseball that year? It, it's a it's a debate people are still having. Um, people so, are asking. So to, to answer your question, 100% without a doubt, I am taking the Crosstown Cup. The Cubs not missing the playoffs. Like I, I don't consider myself the biggest like meatball Cubs hater. Really, it's only when they're playing. Um, so yeah, I will I will put that tro- I will t- carry that trophy from Wrigley Field to guaranteed rate myself. I'll maybe take a divvy bike along the lake, but give me that every day of the week. I'm really happy you said that. Now that scooters have invaded the city of Chicago, you can you can take that trophy on via scooter all the way back to the Beggar Dome, which is what I've started calling because <laughs> <laughs> of all the beggars pizza signs everywhere. I had a buddy said it, and I, I just had to run with it. Hey, they lay it on thick, man. Can't beat that with pizza. Much like the cheese. All right, that concludes episode 14. Uh, You can listen to this podcast, all of our other ones, on Spotify, iTunes. You could also uh, check us out at lmbfsports.com. Pat, it's been a pleasure as always. Hope we can talk about uh, some better baseball next week. Oh, absolutely. Good talking to you as always. Uh, And, you know, it's only another short week until we'll be talking about the Crosstown Cup again. So, you know, looking forward to that conversation. Absolutely. And remember, folks, Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. Have a good week. Come on, baby, don't you wanna go? Come on, baby, don't you wanna go? Back to that same old place, sweet home, Chicago. Come on, baby, don't you make me laugh.